So hopefully you're well aware of the fact that now we have been journeying through the book of Ephesians. Um, we have been here since January, um, and so back in January, Neil started us off with a bit of an introduction into the book of Ephesians and the kind of themes that run throughout the book and this idea that Ephesians is all about, and, and Ephesians is unique in some ways compared to the other, other letters that Paul wrote because he's commending the church and he's encouraging, encouraging them as to, grow, to grow up in Christ and to grow deeper in their roots um, in Christ. And so that's what our hope is that through this series, as we delve into the words of Ephesians, as we delve into this letter by Paul, that we as individuals and we as a collective would grow deep roots and that we would grow mature in our walk. And so then Neil went on to the first chapter where he talked about um, seven verbs. Um, Paul is known for, for not always following the typical rules, um, but he wrote this long, long sentence which covers which we've split up into 14 verses. Um, so it's seven verbs, and I'm not going to ask if anyone remembers each of the seven verbs, um, but they were blessed, chosen, destined, bestowed, lavished, known, and gathered. And that passage, the introduction to the letter, um, just gives us that grounding of what it is that Paul's going to talk about through the rest of the book. And we see Paul's heart because, I mean, I don't know about you, but the last time I wrote, a, a, I don't think I've ever written a sentence that has 14 verbs in one sentence. Um, and there's a, um, there's a writer called Charles Dickens, I'm sure many of you are familiar with that name. He was known for using lots of describing words. Um, there's a book he wrote called Great Expectations, um, and it was released in a, in a magazine. And so he released it in installments. Um, and his reason for using so many vowels and adjectives and verbs and describing words was so that he could make more money. <laughs> and that, I don't think, is Paul's purpose of adding lots of description and lots of um, verbs to his sentences. But he... In, in the olden days, back in Paul's time, it was really, it was a lot more difficult to communicate. We didn't have texts, we didn't have emails, they had to write letters. And actually in those times, only about 10 to 15% of the population was literate. So often that meant using a scribe. Um, now during the week, actually, I got the chance to find out what it was like to be a scribe <laughs> um, in the office. David and Ronnie had a letter that they needed to write or an email, and so I um, ended up being the scribe for that, and let me tell you, I don't envy the scribe's job. <laughs> My fingers couldn't work fast enough for, the, for the, uh, what they were saying. Um, but it definitely was a challenging thing, and so most of the time, a lot of the time, someone like Paul was probably able to write his own letters, but often he did use a scribe, and we can see that when um, there's little endings that are written by the scribes themselves. Um, and so Paul would have gone to the market um, where there was a scribe um, who was trained to do that and they would have written the letter out for him. Um, sometimes the scribes had more input than others um, and they would, they would write in like a shorthand and then go in and fill the details back later. But other times they would just write word for word what the person was saying. But ultimately, it was a really long and difficult process to write a letter. It wasn't just a case of picking up the phone and sending a quick text. So Paul was trying to pack in as much as he possibly could into each of his letters so that it made, took up the most value um, for the time 
And so he could communicate what he wanted to communicate to each person. And so then the week after, David brought us into the book of Revelation, where we read of the church in Ephesus and how they were complimented for their endurance, their perseverance, their holiness, but that they'd forgotten their first love, who brings purpose to everything that we do and the reason for their endurance and perseverance that is Jesus. And finally, last week, Neil brought us into the second chapter, which is where we're going to spend our time today, um, and challenged us about how we speak of those who have failed and who are struggling, and how we define grace. Sorry, I'm just going to move this light because I feel like I can't see anybody. Um, so we're going to be reading in chapter two, um, starting at verse 11. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews, who were proud of their circumcision, even though it only affected their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promise God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And in our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near to him. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. And so in some ways, as we have separated out, as Neil took the first part of this chapter and I am taking the second part, um, it can be split into two separate, um, separate parts. The first part is all about our personal salvation. The moment we realized our need for Jesus, our individual need to accept him and say yes to him. And the second part um, is about the church. And scholars would talk about that as ecclesiology. Um, or the theology of the church. It's all about what it means to be part of the family of God. And the Gentiles didn't understand what that meant. And the Jews knew in their head, but in, in action and in their hearts, it didn't seem like they did. When they were dead, they were alienated from each other. The Jews used these terms circumcised and uncircumcised as a way of not only differentiating them from God's chosen people, but from the Gentiles who did not know God. And at the time, the Jews wore this, this, this title like a badge of honor. It was a way of almost elevating themselves above the, the Gentiles who didn't know God. And this goes back to Genesis, where God selects Abraham and calls him into a covenantal relationship. Now God said to Abraham, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who curse you, 
and the ones who curse you I will curse, and in you all the families on earth will be blessed. In you all the families on earth will be blessed. Circumcision was this outward sign so that those in generations to come would remember this covenant made between God and Abraham. And while the initial covenant was made with the children of Israel or the Jewish people, it was not where the covenant was intended to end. The alienation and separation of the Gentiles was not in God's original plan, but that through the faith of the Jews, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Through the Jews' faithfulness, they would become a light to all the nations and all people would have an opportunity to know God through their faith. But we see when Paul says, Jews, the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts, that this was not the case. By Jesus' time on earth, the division between the Jews and the Gentiles had grown significantly. The Jews were heavily persecuted by the Roman Empire, and there'd be many attempts from the Jews to uprise against their, their persecutors. There was open hostility between the two communities. The sign God gave his people of his covenant, the thing that was meant to identify them as God's people, had become like a weapon, a mark of their superiority over the Gentiles. Throughout this, this New Testament, we see signs of this tension between the two groups. In Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas travel to Jerusalem to speak to the elders of the church because there's great debate amongst the Jewish and Gentile believers as to whether Gentile believers need to be circumcised. The, Romans, the book of Romans as well, um, it was designed to teach about being a multicultural community and we can see lots of moments where there's tension between the two groups. God's desire for his church is unity, not uniformity. His desire is to allow space for diversity of individuals to be bridged, not because we all adopt the same practices, but because we each share the faith in Jesus, even with our differences. Now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. This phrase that you have been brought near was a greeting commonly used by the Jewish community to welcome those who had converted from, to Judaism. And Paul knew that this would be something that the, the, the Jews at the time would be familiar with. He's using it to remind them of the unity and oneness that they have been called to, which goes back to the covenant made with Abraham. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people, when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separates us. This phrase, the wall of hostility, it could just be a metaphor that Paul is using to describe the prejudice and the division that there is between the Jews and the Gentiles. But often Paul uses physical references that people would have been familiar with. And it's likely the Jews would have thought of a specific wall when he mentioned this. Joshua's got a picture that he's going to show for us. Um, so in the Jewish temple, um, you can see there's a really big wall around the outside. Um, and there's actually, you can sort of make out a thin line just at the edge of the center, center area. So that was a division. So the, the big courts on, courtyards on either side was known as the courts of the Gentiles. Um, and then they would go in through this bottom gate into the courts of the women and then in further, the court of Israel and um, into the tallest part of the building there was the court of the priests. 
So the court of the Gentiles um, is primarily, or, or became primarily like a bazaar or a marketplace. Um, there would be people selling animals for sacrifice and even money changers, which um, you might remember when Jesus turns, o- turns over the tables in the temple. That would have been where that was happening. Um, and so there was a clear separation of where the Gentiles could go into the, in the Jewish temple and where the Jews were allowed to go. And so this division at the side here marks the point that the Gentiles couldn't go any further. In Acts 21, um, there's a little piece of information that's hidden in brackets, and I don't know about you, but if you're a skim reader like me, sometimes we can skim over um, the things that are tucked into the brackets, but it says they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul, and they assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Now, what that means is they're suggesting that Paul brought this man beyond the wall, beyond the division of the uh, the Gentile court and the court um, that, that the Jews were allowed to go into. And whether whether that was the case or not, or whether they were just trying to um, make a false accusation against Paul, um, we're not sure. But basically, that that act, if he had done that, was punishable by death. Um, on the temple walls, there were signs showing that that was not allowed to happen. So for this wall to be broken down, for Paul to be suggesting that the barrier between Jews and Gentiles has broken down is a huge, huge thing for both the Jews and Gentiles. It may also have reminded them of the moment when when Jesus died and the veil in the temple, um, which is in the main inner inner sanctum, which separated the Holy of Holies from the areas that the priests would go into um, on a regular basis. The priests could only go into this area once a year after a really long cleansing ritual. Um, And this veil was torn. This veil which separated us from the immediate presence of God was torn in two. So those who Paul would have been sending this letter would have been familiar with these separations in the temple the existence of the wall and the existence and the significance of what Paul is saying by tearing this wall down. No separation from Jew and Gentile and no more separation from God. For Christ himself brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Last week in the first part of this chapter, um, it says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Um, All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. But by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in his mercy He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's talking about how God has brought each of us close to himself through Jesus and how that has been possible through our Heavenly Father that we can be united with him. In this second part, Paul is reminding the listeners and the readers at the time that because of God's love, Because of Jesus' death, not only have we been brought close to him, not only can we know our Heavenly Father, we have also been brought close to one another. Despite our differences, despite the long years of division, despite pain or prejudice, 
in bringing each of us close to himself. We are each brought close to one another, whether we realize it or not. Verse 15 goes on to say, He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between the Jews and the Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. Over the last month, um, on our time together on Wednesday evenings, as David mentioned, we've been going through this book by Rick Hill, um, and the third chapter uh, is called Committing to Community. So if you don't read anything else in the book, I would highly recommend reading this one specific chapter. Um, but I would also say the chances are if you read this one chapter, you're going to want to read the rest of the book. So, um, But I would highly, highly recommend uh, the third chapter. Um, and the, there's a quote in that chapter, and it's really stuck with me. It says, we aren't called to create unity. That unity already exists in the Trinity and in the body, the church, that we are invited into. We are called not to get in the way of unity. I think it brings a new dimension to unity when we think about it that way. I know often I think of unity as something that we have to create and maintain um, or make, but there's a shift occurs when we think of unity as already being there and we're the ones that get in the way of it. I remember when I was at school, um, there was a situation where it was just a difficult situation happened between me and a couple of my friends, and I was really hurt by that situation. And I remember really questioning God about it, because they, they were my Christian friends, <laughs> and how could, they, how could they not realize that their actions had been really hurtful towards me? Um, I don't know if you know, but Amy means beloved. Um, and in the midst of my frustration and, and pain and, and hurt in the situation, I felt the Holy Spirit reminds me of that. You are my beloved. And I sort of thought, yeah, okay, I, I know that. Um, and then I felt and see, and they are my beloved as well. And that moment sort of took a bit of the wind out of my sails of my self-righteous feelings of frustration and hurt. And not, not that there wasn't legitimate reason to be hurt or frustrated, and there are times for that. But in the midst of that moment, I felt that God reminded me of how much he loves each of his children, even when we don't love each other very much, or even when we have reason not to love each other very much. Um, and so because of that moment, we were able to work it out, and we, we're still friends today, and actually now I probably can't even tell you the details of whatever that situation was. Um, but in that moment, God taught me what it was to get out of the way of unity. And without unity, there can be no peace, and without peace, there can be no unity. Christianity is one of the most divided religions with so many denominations. I was listening to a book recently around the theme of unity and the author was talking about how Zacchaeus um, and the rich young ruler would have attended different churches. Um, I'm just going to summarize it for the sake of time, so if you're unfamiliar with their story, you can read it in Luke 18 and 19. But basically, Zacchaeus is a tax collector who stole and cheated people out of a lot of money. And Zacchaeus, after meeting with Jesus, not only re repaid those he'd stolen from, he paid back four times the amount and gave half of his possessions to the poor. The rich young ruler had come to Jesus asking him how he could inherit eternal life. And Jesus gives, gives him a number of commandments that he is familiar with. And then he asked him to give up his wealth. But the man was reluctant and he went away sad. 
the man, this rich young ruler didn't see in Jesus what Zacchaeus had. And so the author was saying that these two responses to Jesus would never understand each other. The one who was willing to sacrifice and say yes to Jesus and the other who did not. And I totally understand what he's getting at. That it's a two really different types of faith there. But if our church gatherings are only filled with Zacchaeuses, is that really unity or is that uniformity? And when we look at the history of the church, so often that's what we've done. We agree with and adhere to this. We'll go to this church and we adhere and agree with this. And so we'll go over there and over there and wherever we fit and wherever we can say yes to all the things um, and fit comfortably. And now that's definitely oversimplifying it. There's many reasons that church today looks like it does. But I think actually that Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler need to be in the same church. They need each other so that they have the opportunity and the possibility of experiencing unity and peace that is only possible because of Jesus. And so from what I read here in this passage and in various passages throughout the Bible, true, true unity isn't just spending time with people that we like and being in relationships with people that we get on with. Another man who asked Jesus, what must he do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied with the well-known story of the Good Samaritan. And again, if you're not familiar with it, um, you can read it. Um, sorry, I don't have the note of it, but there's, I'll, say, I'll get it for you. Um, but the, the Good Samaritan basically is a story where the enemy, the least expected person, is the one who offers help to a man who is injured. Peace does not exist between two things that are exactly alike. There can be no peace between two men who agree in everything. Peace exists between those who differ. God does not promise us happiness, but he does promise us his peace. When he chose to let the Holy Spirit, when we choose to let the Holy Spirit bring the peace of God into moments where peace doesn't make sense, we can only do that because of Jesus. We can invite him into the moments of stress, the moments of fear, pain, sadness, and hurt, and moments where peace just doesn't belong. When we let the peace of God into our life and allow that to be our decision, deciding factor, then we will have unity. And we, each of us, is on a journey of going after and learning what it is to carry peace and to carry unity. And it's something that we'll not truly experience the full extent of until we get to heaven. But God is on the throne. He is in a state of peace. He is in a state of unity. We are still becoming we need the Holy Spirit in us to bring the peace of God and the unity that he wants from his church. And so now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Let me pray. Um, there's a lot more I could say, but uh, let's, let's pray. And we've got lots more weeks to be working through this book together. Um, and looking at what it means to be united as God's family. So, Father, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you that you are unity, that you are the source, that you are the one who unites us together. God, we thank you that even in the midst of difficult situations, the Holy Spirit, you can come and you can help us to find a way to unity, a way back to unity, even when it doesn't make sense. 
even when others around us might question it. We thank you that you um, are the bringer of peace, the bringer of hope, and the bringer of life. And so today, Father, where there's situations in each of our lives that we need your peace, Holy Spirit, we just welcome you into that now. Where there's situations where we need to get out of the way of unity, Father, we pray just that we would be open and patient and willing to hear your voice in that. And so, yeah, God, today we just thank you for your word. We thank you for this time together. And we just ask that you would bless us today. In Jesus' name.